Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Teacher Transition Expert Series. Today, we are joined by one of my favorite people, Katie Stover. She is the CEO and founder of Hire People. Hire People is an edtech recruiting firm designed to recruit, retain, and reskill employees to have the greatest success between the intersection of education and technology. Katie and I go way back to our days in organizing events of EdTech Austin. I've watched her create this company from zero, and she has become an absolute powerhouse in the space. I hope you sit back, enjoy this interview, and learn what it takes to transition from a recruiter's perspective. So tune in, tune it up, and let's get ready to do this. Hi everyone, and welcome back to my channel. My name is Lena Marie Sali, the EdTech Guru. I wanna thank you so much for spending time with me on this journey, for all the support that you give me, and for following along. Don't forget to hit the thumbs up button, subscribe, and let's get ready to do this. Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode. Today, we are speaking with Katie Stover. She is the CEO and founder of Hire People. Katie, how are you doing today? I'm great. I'm doing awesome. Excited to be here and connect. Yeah, all is good. We are so excited to have you on today and be able to share um, your perspective and just all about your journey outside of the classroom. So let's start off with you telling us a little bit of your own story and basically what you do today. Yeah. Um, so I started as a teacher. I did Teach for America. Did that in Washington, D.C. I taught geometry. Quickly realized that teaching is the hardest job in the entire world, and I couldn't do it forever, but cared about education, wanted to somehow stay involved with it, so realized I wanted to go into ed tech from there. And then after that, I went and worked at Pearson, so giant conglomerate company. Uh, they At the time, they had this really cool leadership development program, which was a rotational program, and they really targeted TFA teachers. And the idea there was... You know, let's bring in people who are high potential talent is what they called it. So people who, you know, they thought would be really successful, but didn't have a lot of experience and let's teach them all about the tech world. So we learned about product and engineering and sales and customer success and research. And that really allowed me to like have a good understanding and like which direction I wanted to go, which was really helpful. From there, I then went to General Assembly and at GA started on the local partnerships team in Austin. I was helping GA students get jobs at companies in Austin and I was also managing our marketing partnerships. And then after that, GA closed the biggest deal that we had so far in the enterprise space. At the time, we were really just a direct-to-consumer company. And then Booz Allen came to us and said, we want to train 5,000 of our employees in data science. And so we had never done something like that before. And they knew that I had good employer relationships. So they asked me if I wanted to take on that initiative and spearhead enterprise client delivery. So I did that and managed Booz Allen and Bloomberg and Capital One and Department of Defense. That essentially snowballed to what led to the acquisition with Adeco. And then I had this kind of light bulb moment, which was clients were coming to me and they were saying like, should we be hiring new talent or should we be training existing talent? Or are we actually dealing with a retention problem? And we really need to focus on retention and attrition and when I was at GA, I realized, you know, my answer kind of always had to be keep training like that. That was our business model. So, of course, that's that was typically my answer. And I, I realized I wanted to learn more about like the entire trajectory of people at a company. So then I went over to an ed tech recruiting firm, um, had to fill a ton of roles in a very short amount of time, learned how, you know, 
to source, to interview, to do all the things really successfully. And then kind of had the same light bulb moment, which was, okay, now companies are coming to me and they're saying, hey, we should have hired 10 engineers yesterday. Like, what can you do to get us 10 people in the seat tomorrow? And I was like, man, we forecast our revenue. We forecast our marketing. We we plan everything but we really don't plan our people well. And so that's why I started to hire people. Uh, we help companies recruit, reskill, and retain talent. And we also do a lot to help um, job seekers and you know people looking to change careers as well. Uh, so yeah, that's a little bit about me. And I, of course, I love your story because you started out obviously in the classroom and then was part of TFA. And we know a lot of people have actually had great success coming out of the classroom, being former TFA employees. There's just kind of making that transition as well. But I think then inspiring story is that you didn't just sit back and relax and be like, Oh yeah, I just need to like jump out of the classroom. Like you really honed in on some skill sets and things that were of interest to you. None of that comes obviously without hustling either. So let's talk a little bit about, and one of the reasons why I'm most excited to have you on, obviously you're, you're in the recruiting space and kind of know a little bit about that, but we both have a lot of teacher transitioners who come to us and want to seek advice and things like that. So love to dive a little bit deeper into ways that people can actually make the transition. Let's kind of explore that avenue together. Yeah. So one, it can feel overwhelming, right? You don't know what you don't know. So I think like saying I for sure want to do X is is hard, right? Like you don't have like a very clear career path. My best advice to people is to talk to as many former teachers, talk to as many people in tech as possible, and just try to conduct as many informational interviews as you possibly can. The great news is there are a lot of former teachers out there that are now in tech. So leveraging that pool of people is incredibly helpful as you navigate your career. So, you know, I always tell people like, maybe you start in the classroom, maybe you know of some tech companies, like write down some of the like dream companies that you think you could work at. And you might not know at first. So you might go to Google and say top ed tech companies in Los Angeles, or you might go to Google and say top tech companies with incredible remote work-life balance or whatever it is, but you just want to start generating like, what are the companies I am interested in is kind of step one. And then once you have those companies, you want to narrow in and find people who can help you with those companies and who can just give you more insight into what a day in the life looks like. Um, so I can share my screen and show you some of that. I might go to Newzella, click on the company. Um, you might also filter based off of the former company that they were at, right? So Teach for America, obviously something I look at a lot. Um, you might filter based on the university you went to. I look for people that went to UCSB. And then you can also filter based on title. So let's say I'm very interested in customer success. I think I, you know, someone told me, hey, you'd be a really good customer success manager. It's a good entry point. I just want to learn more. So that might be where I start is I want to talk to CS people at Newzilla. Um, so what I would probably start with is like, I always do TFA and it's a really good way to just find former teachers. It doesn't matter if you did teach for America. Um, all of these people are, you know, former teachers as well. So if I do that, there's 35 people at Newzella who are former teachers, right? So maybe I was interested in curriculum development or customer success, this person. Oh, and we have a shared connection. Someone I know well, who also did TFA, like leverage that shared connection. Obviously was in the classroom, worked at Yes Public Schools and just made the transition. So she just had to go through the interview process. Like she literally can give you her playbook of what she did to change. Like that's, that's incredible. Just and so you guys know, this was not planned. Either. No, no, it was not <laughs> planned. Uh, and, and her, you know, like I, her LinkedIn, I think she could do like 
definitely should add a picture, definitely should have a backdrop. There are some things that she can do as well, but like she was able to successfully transition and she just did it. So her story is interesting to you in terms of how. So what I always do is I click on this connect and I would say something like, hi, Ashley. So you just made the transition from the classroom to Newzella. I'm really excited by the work Newzella is doing. And I would absolutely love to pick your brain about your journey and how you were able to make that transition. Do you have 15 minutes to connect? Happy to send you a gift card to your favorite spot in Houston for coffee or something like that. Even when you do have the background, honestly, it's really hard to get an interview. And so you're much better off going and connecting with people and talking to people and getting informational interviews and learning about, look, there's 35 people here who all have different roles now. One's a learning engineer, one's in product, one is in sales, one's in program management, one's in customer success. So like, if you don't know which direction you want to go, you see all these people who have made the transition and gone different directions. Like those are great people to talk with that are all going to have different perspectives. And if you talk to Lauren and you're like, wow, her job sounds incredible. Like I'm interested in that. Then you start talking to more customer success managers and see if you can identify a trend. Or if you talk to someone in sales and you're like, man, I don't want to grind and do quotas. Like then rule that off the list. But like use, use LinkedIn, connect with people, talk to as many people as you can. People are way nicer than ATS systems and former teachers typically do help former teachers. I think that's a great perspective and something that I've taken away from Katie and I pre-recorded this before and it was a mistake that happened on my end. Um, so we're re-recording this interview, but she had shown me that a few weeks ago and I really didn't even think about it. I mean, I do that with companies and different things that I'm looking at, but didn't think about it as far as in the networking perspective. And so now I'm constantly sharing that same feedback with other people because I think it's really, really important. I think you said something really great, which was hone in on companies that you want to work for because a lot of times you can one, go to their, go and see what their jobs that they're basically posted in that space, but you can also connect with people like the customer success manager that we just saw or connect with some of the others that you have shared connection with. And sometimes a really good thing to do is to look at their LinkedIn and see what they have on their LinkedIn. Um, so a lot of times people spend a lot of time doing their resumes, but really as a recruiter, you're spending time looking for people on LinkedIn. While the ATS system is only one small piece of the puzzle as a recruiter, you're looking for specific keywords. Is that right? Yeah. I, um, I hate to admit it, but like people ask me to review their resumes. And I like, I feel embarrassed that I feel like I don't offer that much advice on resumes because I spend my entire day on LinkedIn. I decide if I like people initially, but yes, LinkedIn is how we find people as recruiters. It's how we reach out to people as recruiters. It's what we send to hiring managers when we're sending a candidate to, you know, the hiring managers. So it's the first thing people see. Like I always tell people in today's world, LinkedIn is what people pull up first. Your resume is like that gut check and what you look at second. So like your resume, yes, needs to look nice. and needs to back up things, but like your LinkedIn is is that first reaction to like what people think of you. So in my mind, it's the most important thing. And like, we literally will find you if you have more keywords. So like, let's say I'm looking for a customer success manager who is in ed tech and I want them to have K-12 experience. I can add in all the keywords I'm looking for. The most amount of these words on their profile is the one that comes up first. So I'm not saying go in and just like write ed tech, ed tech, ed tech, ed tech, ed tech. Do not do that. Like make it look good. But this is all based off an algorithm, right? So like 
This guy obviously has customer success manager here, education here. I'm sure he also has it here. He is K-12. So it's saying for the things I'm looking for, this guy is probably the closest match. And that's all based on keywords. So you do really want to make sure you, you kind of hone in on the types of roles you're looking for. And you might say, well, if I'm a teacher, I don't have those keywords because I haven't done it. You still can showcase some of the things that are important for the job in your about section. So on mine, because I have teaching on here. I made sure when I was trying to make a change, you know, I wanted to seem really data driven. I wanted to talk about like awards. I wanted to talk about, I was looking for like professional development or adult learning roles. I saw that like relationship management was important because I was going into client engagement. So like, yes, I didn't necessarily have like the direct one-to-one keywords or, or roles or titles, but I still was like painting a narrative that like I was somebody who could do the job based on my success in the classroom. I think that's really important. And, and just looking at, like we mentioned earlier, looking at other people's keywords. So that person that we just looked at that worked at Zoom, if you looked at his bullet points, you could see that there were specific resume type sentences there with like specific metrics. And even in yours, there's specific metrics. And sometimes teachers look at me and they're like, what do you mean by metrics? It's something that's quantifiable. Something that has a number in it is very, very helpful. So if you just only manage three people, you need to make sure and discuss what it was that you managed about them. Did you manage them? What kind of successes did you have with them? And if you're not sure, you can write down a list of what you do day to day and think about like, what things can you tie numbers to? A lot of teachers ask, well, I don't have access to data that I used for my students' success. I don't know what their achievement was. You can eyeball it, right? You can just like guess and have a good guesstimate about what it is. An employer, for example, Canva isn't going to come to me and be like, Hey, Lena, I saw that you only moved your students 37.5%. Can we get those accurate records? Nobody cares. What they're looking for is to make sure that you have that data point to like, to see more successful, I guess you would say, but just being able to like quickly be able to showcase what you've been able to do. Yeah. We're looking for soft skills, right? If somebody doesn't have that direct experience, we're looking for, are they data-driven? Are they good at building relationships? Are they a fast learner? Do they have attention to detail? Like ultimately we know that you are not going to have three years of customer success experience. We're looking for somebody that we can train up really quickly. And that is going to like show aptitude to learn and is going to be somebody that like, I know is going to work really hard to figure it out, even though they don't have that one-to-one. So I'm just looking for those, like with younger talent or with like career transitioners, I'm more looking for like those soft skills than I am hard skills and soft skills to me still represent themselves in data. Cause I'm like, Oh, they're data driven. Oh, they have attention to detail. Oh, they hit on these points that are not the same, but very similar to what I need in this job. So I can see them doing this job, even though they haven't necessarily done it before. Um, Something that we also mentioned just on LinkedIn in general was last time we had spoke about candidates and, and their activity. So the first thing that you do is you obviously find the keywords, you find the candidate that really matches the best to the keywords that you're looking for. You look at their profile, make sure they have the right data points. And then what is the next step that you usually take to see if that candidate is a good candidate to consider? Yeah. I'm going to give a funny example because this happened this week. Um, So we were interviewing, I'm not going to pull up his profile because I don't want to show his profile, but we were interviewing candidate for a technical instructor role at Galvanize. On paper, knocked it out of the park, was incredible, like had all the skill sets, interviewed really well. And in his project section, he had that he had like 
built an adult, um, it was called Lusty Love. And it was like a triple X like website. And like, then we started looking at his activity and we were like, oh no, like there was just some like red flags. And my issue was not that this guy built Lusty Love, could care less. My issue was that he posted it all over his LinkedIn. Like this is a professional website. You cannot put your Lusty Love OnlyFans account or whatever it is, right? Your political view, like remember this is not Facebook. This is not Instagram. That candidate did not move forward because, you know, we did not want him to poorly represent our brand when we introduced him to the the client. So those things matter. And, you know, it's important to remember this is a professional website. I think recently with all the layoffs and everything that's happening, people are forgetting that. But like as employers and as recruiters, we do check that stuff. So just remember, this is your like your professional brand. This isn't your Instagram page. And just like you said, it was really easy to locate that in the project section. But what else is really easy to locate is the difference between like LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Well, except for Twitter, but like those other social medias, you can really lock down what you're doing, what you're posting, what you're seeing. The thing about LinkedIn is it's not locked down. Anyone can see your profile from anywhere. Um, and your trail doesn't really disappear. Like you could really go see things very, very easily. You can type in like keywords and figure out where the posts were. And so you just want to be like really careful about your activity and what you're engaging with. And, you know, it's really easy. I'm sure you're going to show us some tips and tricks here, but um, just really be very careful with your activity. I would say he has not chosen to let me see his page. He is a second degree connection, but all of his activity is public. So to Lena's point, like not only can I see what he's posting on LinkedIn, if I filter this, I use this to be like, if I'm trying to get a hold of a candidate and they're not liking, I'm like, what groups are they in? Where are they commenting? What are they liking? Like it is designed so I can be a better prospector, right? And like figure out how to get a hold of somebody. But if it is done wrong or you write the wrong things or like the wrong stuff, like something very, very good to kind of keep, keep in mind. So we talked a little bit about like how you can like network, which is, you know, filtering, figuring out which company you want to work for. But what do you think about a teachers who, you know, we constantly see these posts about teachers, they've submitted hundreds and hundreds of job applications. I'm guilty of doing that when I very first started the transition, but what do you suggest is a good pathway for someone to hopefully bypass just doing millions of applications? Don't do that. Um, I mean, <laughs> honestly, it's just, it's really demoralizing. It makes you feel like crap. You, the way ATS systems are set up is unless again, same thing, they have a keyword matching system and they have like, some of them work, some of them don't, some of them have people checking them, some of them don't. So it's kind of this like ambiguous black box. And if you get a response, uh, sometimes it's an auto rejector. So like you're putting, you're hinging all your bets on like a broken flawed technology system versus humans and building relationships. So like my best advice is rather than doing a hundred applications, reach out to a hundred people, like connect, talk to people. Don't reach out and say, Hey, I'm interested in this job. Will you give me an internal referral? Like build true relationships and like establish rapport. So like, Hey, I so see you were a teacher and you made the transition and you know, I'm really interested in doing the same. Like would love to learn about your journey and your story and, and, you know, be mindful that people's time is important and you're making an ask of them. So like, I always think it's nice to like, you don't have to do this with everybody, but I think it's nice to like offer like a 10 or $15 gift card or do it like out of kindness afterwards. 
um, because if you look at mine or Lena's calendar, like we are usually on back-to-back meetings all day. And so if someone's taking the time to talk to you, it's important that like you acknowledge that they really took the time to help you and not everyone's going to respond to you. And that's okay because people are busy or they're not checking LinkedIn. So reach out to a hundred people, don't apply to a hundred jobs and get internal referrals. Even if you don't, even if you're not sending like a gift card or something like that, at the very least, just send a follow-up email after being like, thank you so much for spending the time with me. Just like you would after an interview, it is an interview essentially, right? Like we're networking with you. And if you have good enough vibes and we feel like you've connected, you'd be surprised the amount of people that we have connections with, or the person that you've networked with has connections with. So you have to remember that, that you're not just connecting with the person you're connecting with that person and their network. And that's something important to keep in mind too. Yeah. I love that. Absolutely love it. Yeah. Don't feel like you have to send out $20 gift cards to a hundred people. Like you, you, you don't, but sometimes if somebody's like really high up and I'm like, wow, they, they took the time to talk to me. It's like a nice, a nice little follow-up. It is. And I, I think it's just, just showing that you appreciate them is just really the most important part about that. Um, So I wanted to talk a little bit about your boyfriend. Um, And I know that he recently just made a huge career transition and, and kind of, you could talk a little bit about how he kind of made that not a teacher, but how he kind of made that transition himself. I think that's an important um, share. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he was in sales for a while and was just burnt out and over sales. And he um, is a musician. And so I think one, what was interesting about his story was I was like watching him code in making music. And to me, I was like, oh, you are coding. You really enjoy this. I think you would like front end web development. So I think one, like Thinking about tangential skills that you have and that you enjoy, even if they're hobbies and how they represent themselves, like there might be a role that like is similar or just is like for a similar persona, right? Like Katie, extrovert, outgoing, doesn't like detail, would never be a programmer. But like somebody who like is sitting on a computer programming music and like literally doing like microcosm changes, I was like, oh, that's similar. Um, So he decided what he did first was he took a bunch of different classes at GA. So I was like, just go do like some of their free workshops and then do like their one day classes just to like dabble and see what you like. From that, basically validated that like, yes, web development was something he was really interested in. Went through a intensive full-time program where he actually was working full-time and in class full-time at night. It was a six-month program. It was very intense. And then at the end of it, had to find a job as an engineer and didn't have any experience. And his uh, girlfriend is a recruiter and was giving him all the advice. But when it's your partner, you don't like to listen. So at first, he was applying to a lot of jobs. He was just applying, hitting apply now, had a cover letter doing that and he was getting no success and then actually talked to a friend who was like starting a career coaching business and was like hey I would take Stephen on as a client for free if you want to like you know put him in touch with me and what that guy did it was literally what I said it wasn't rocket science but it was get a Trello board and the guy said I want you to have 10 informational interviews a week and we're going to meet on Fridays and if you don't have those 10 interviews by the time we meet on Friday I'm going to stop meeting with you because I'm doing this for free and And so Stephen felt this like crazy urgency to make sure he had those 10 calls every week. He was like, oh, this guy's going to not talk to me. And this guy knows Katie. 
And within doing that, within three weeks, he got a job from, he, he talked to a couple different engineers at this company in, in LA who were former General Assembly students, so similar background to him. And they put in an internal referral. They bypassed several screens because he was an internal referral. And so he got an offer within like two weeks from when he first applied. And that's very fast. Yeah, super fast. <laughs> very fast to be able to bypass all of those things. So I think if you take anything away from that, the power of these informational interviews and just connecting with people is way more powerful than you probably give credit to it. Yeah, for sure. He he admits it now, but you know, and I think it helped him know what company he wanted because by the end of that, he had all of these calls. And so it became more about like him vetting and like it put him in the driver's seat. Like he went from a position of feeling like he had no power to like, now he has all of these calls and like different plates that were spinning. And he all of a sudden got more confidence and was like, okay, now it's up to me to decide which company I really like versus like, I'm just going to take the first job that I get. I mean, that's just important in, in general, because you, you can really get a good feel for companies. Like sometimes that may be, you may think you have this dream company and you start talking to people, maybe their work-life balance isn't great, or maybe they don't have any career growth that opportunities at the place that they're working at. It's really important to really get insight because at the end of the day, you're also making a conscious decision. It's also an investment of your time too. And I think so often we just want to get to where we want to be, which makes sense. But you also need to know both sides of the story because sometimes you get in there and you're like, oh, I just wanted more money, but you don't understand that more money comes with more things. And that's just the expectations are different. You're also going to be learning. So you're going to have a lot of imposter syndrome and just like a lot of things that like you don't think about when you, when you're making the trans, you're just so excited. You're just like, want to do it. That's what you know how to do. But that, that piece is really, really important. Sometimes I've talked with people and I'm like, Ooh, I don't, yeah. I don't think that's a place I ever want to consider to work. Totally. Or maybe it's like a place like, Ooh, I'm dying to like work there. I think it just kind of can, can play a really big role for you as well. Yeah. And there is something about getting your foot in the door and having like your first break and like, you might not get into your dream company to begin with. But like, I do think that asking the right questions, understanding the company culture and like making a decision based on information versus just based on like whoever will take me is like so powerful. And then another thing that you just said that like reminded me of negotiation for people who are like earlier on or transitioning. Uh, recently, I had someone that said, well, I'm switching to engineering or I'm switching my career. I can't negotiate my job salary. And I just want to say also like Stephen was able once he got that offer to negotiate not a crazy amount, but still like five, I think he got five to 10 K more and potentially like a small signing bonus as well. And so, you know, know that like they, once you like get the offer, they really want you and like, it's okay to ask for a little more. Don't go crazy, but like there is a need for talent and like people want you. And if you can get to that offer stage, like it's okay to still know your worth and your value. And if you talk to people at the company, you'll know the right numbers to ask. Like I always talk to people first before giving anyone any comp numbers because if someone on the team tells me their starting salary was 120 and they're quoting me 80, I'm like, wait a minute, like, hey, now I know that like this, this role could actually go up to 120. So like those, those conversations could give you some really helpful insight into like what you can truly ask for and then what you can actually negotiate for. You always have negotiating chips. So always make sure that you're negotiating at the very least a couple extra vacation days. Like maybe they have a hard cap on like what their salary is, but you always have some sort of wiggle room to make decisions even before you like accept the job. So 
That's a good point. Yep. Something we don't yep. usually talk about. You want to tell people a little bit about what hire people does. If somebody is looking to get into recruiting or kind of explore that avenue. Yeah. So yeah, we help again, companies recruit, reskill, retain. So recruit, we help you, you know, if you need to hire a VP of marketing, a company will come to us and say, Hey, can you go find this for us? Um, often we're creating processes from the ground up for people. So we have a lot of early stage companies that don't have job descriptions or interview processes. So we do a lot of work in like the creation as well. Um, and then we also help companies think through like career pathways and reskilling and training initiatives. And then we help them think about retention and how to keep their best employees. Um, and yeah, we recently actually did a recruiter boot camp um, and I hired a teacher from that program. And so basically I, I had the idea, I was like, you know, recruiters, one, I didn't have a traditional background. I came from teaching and all these other things. And I knew that like really good recruiters are just really good people, people, and they're also people who can hustle a lot. And so what I decided to do was a recruiter boot camp, which was a six week program. It was pretty intensive. Um, only three people graduated um, out of six. So, you know, but it was it was essentially learn to source, learn to interview, learn everything. And by the end, if this is something you like and it's a good match, then I'll bring you on full time to our team. And so all of the recruiters that we currently have our team are two of them were from that program. One was a contractor that did learned contract work on the side with us and then switched. But all three are transitioners um, and our head of operations, Alex, she also is a transitioner. So nobody has a traditional background um, and they're all fantastic. And yeah, if you're interested in recruiting, we are not currently hiring right now, but we will likely do another recruiting boot camp around when we did it last year, which was February. So um, add me on LinkedIn. Let me know if you're interested. I also, I think just like talking to Michelle, who Michelle and my team was a former teacher. Um, she figured out she wanted to go into recruiting, started following all people related to ed tech and recruiting, started kind of reaching out to me, developing a relationship. Um, her story and how she was able to do that, like, I think from the time that she decided she wanted to be a recruiter to the time she got employed was around six weeks. And she ended up leaving the classroom for the job with me. So she was she was not done with the year, like she had decided she wanted to be done at the end of the year, but got a job offer before. But that was all based off LinkedIn. And that was based off networking, super successful. So that's that's that. What did I miss? No, I think that's, I think that's the, that's the tips, right? That she was connecting with you, not just like a give and take, but like connecting with you to like really just kind of learn more about the role and then was able to really show you that she had some hustle. And so then that really, not only did it benefit her, but it also benefited you in, in, in the interim as well. Totally. And I could see her like verbal communication, written communication, like all things that I knew were important to be a recruiter which really, really helped to be like, okay, like I'm willing to take a risk on you, even though you don't necessarily have those skills. And that's what a lot of companies will do as well. Um, especially like early stage startups, they really want people who are hungry, who are willing to be adaptable and just willing to kind of learn on, you know, learn as they go. And that's an important thing to also notice and, and note. And also a lot of times I think you may not stay as a recruiter, maybe, or maybe you may not stay as a customer success or a salesperson or whatever it is that you kind of do your entry level role. But what's really nice is that anytime you do join a company, every, 
every company is pretty collaborative for the most part, unless it's like a super legacy company that just still operates in like silos, but you get the opportunity to learn different roles and opportunities. You at GA, myself at CodeMonkey and Canva, I get to work with all sorts of teams to see if there's something that I may be interested in. Sometimes there's career growth opportunities just within a company that you work for as well too. So could, you never know where it might lead you. Yeah, totally. And a lot of companies will even pay for training. So if you like really, and again, you have to like prove yourself, like be somebody that they're like, wow, this, this person is exceptional. I think they would be great in X, but like, if you can do that, like a lot of companies will pay for you to go through, you know, get an agile scrum certificate or go back to school and get an engineering boot camp or something like that. So like those things are on the table. If your manager and the team really believes that you're like someone who will ultimately contribute to the company. I would say, don't get into a role and be like, I don't actually want to do this. I just got this job to like, and will you pay for this boot camp for me? Like, again, you have to prove yourself. So like, just be mindful of like the ask um, and that like, you have to like showcase your worth. And then people are like, wow, like I really want to like make sure this person stays with the company and therefore I'm going to like invest in them. Yeah. Cause we get, there's been companies or people that I've mentored or anything like that, that have come into a role and immediately they come in wanting a different role and it's very clear. So you do have to, what Katie said, you do have to hustle and show your worth before someone is going to make an investment in you. Because if you don't show how well you can be in that role, what's to say that you're going to be anything different in the other one. So you just need to make sure that you do have that hustle. And most companies will pay for you to do training, which, which is nice. Cause as teachers, we just paid out of pocket, right. For everything that we wanted to do. So yeah, nice change up <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I had to pay for my projector when I was in the classroom. Yeah. yeah. Pencils. Yeah. All the, all the things, yeah. you know, you make so much money actually, when you leave the classroom, which is interesting, <laughs> just because yeah, wild. now they, not that it, not even if you made the same amount of money, you would still make, you would still yeah. walk away with way more. <laughs> so the last thing I would just want to close out today's interview is, do you have any specific tips or tricks or anything for anyone who is making a career change? Yeah, I think the, so I'd say the hardest step is getting your first interview. So like making your LinkedIn look really good. Um, then once you do that, obviously making those connections, doing informational. So like hardest step is getting the first interview for sure. Then I would say the second hardest step is crafting your narrative. Most candidates, when I get on the phone with them, they are long-winded in their story. They don't hit on all the bullet points that are aligned to the JD. And so as you know, you're looking for a role, you can, you have a roadmap. The job description is your roadmap. And the recruiter and the hiring manager are looking for you to, you know, essentially talk about those skills in some way. So like really practice your story and make sure that like it's aligned to the bullet points that you see in the job and that you're like telling this story that's already setting you up for success. So they don't have to like ask a whole lot more questions, but they're just like, wow, like this person gets it. And like, they could do this job, even though they haven't done it before. But that's where I would say less experienced people really get tripped up is their narrative. Um, and then think like just knowing that it's a hustle and a grind and like, you have to like be, be metrics driven with like how many, again, like set a target each week, like whether that's 10 people you want to connect with or whatever that is, but like really hold yourself accountable. And if you can get a buddy to do it with and like have like a check-in call, um, somebody else that's trying to transition even better. And that person can also look over your resume, your LinkedIn, but like creating like a little like mind trust and group helps a lot. And just having like a weekly sync on Fridays where you guys get together and work on this stuff 
including my other just like big suggestion. We didn't really talk too much about that, but the initial question of tell me about yourself is always something that people don't practice. And I had Aaron Luber on uh, another interview and we talked a little bit about that. Like it's never too early to start practicing those like typical interview questions as a recruiter. The very first thing that's what you're looking for. You're looking to see, do they check, do they check these boxes on the job description? Um, and how can they narrate their story in that way? And a lot of times that is where you immediately, if you don't get past the first interview, it's more than likely wise because you weren't able to accurately describe how you could fit this role and make the recruiter or the hiring manager see how you could be a good fit. Easy and like buttoned up and like clear and concise for us, the better. And most companies do have some sort of rating scale or specific questions that they're looking for. Do you match the values? Do you match these specific skills that they're looking for in the job? A lot of times people are willing to take you on and train you with that, but it's really what Katie had mentioned, those soft skills that everyone is looking for. I think those are all really great tips. We will make sure that we share all the resources that Katie has talked about in today's interview. And she also does do a job hunter roundtable. So we'll make sure that we show that in the episode notes for you guys as well. Katie, I'm so happy that you came on and you were able to share your knowledge with everyone, all of our audience. I'm sure they're going to find this great and valuable for them as well. And if you're not sure how to connect with Katie, um, you can find her on LinkedIn, obviously. Yeah. Where else would we be, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> you can find her on LinkedIn. I'll link that there below. And if you're interested in learning more about hire people or just following the story of how Katie has been able to build this company, always empower each other as much as we can. So we'll link all of that information in the show notes. Cool. Right, thank you guys so much. And we'll see you guys next time. Bye everybody. Bye. Thanks, Lena. Thank you so much. You've made it this far. I appreciate all of your support. Please don't forget to like, share, subscribe, throw the comments below in the comment section. I'm always looking for new ideas and hot trends, or if you're looking to sponsor our podcast and video episodes, reach out to us on any of our social media channels, and you can even find us anywhere you find your podcasts. Once again, my name's Lena Marie Saleh, the EdTech Guru, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye everybody.